All right, well, good morning. I'm Jacob Dem, one of the pastors here. It's always a joy to open up God's Word with you. Uh, a couple of things before we get going. Um, one, this is kind of one of those mornings that uh, behind the scenes, just people that are trying to get everything together and kind of just, you know, do what we came here to do. It's one of those mornings like where kind of everything has not worked incredibly well. Uh, where sound has been tricky, you know, um, and there's just one, you know, kind of that Murphy's Law, when something can go wrong, it will go wrong. It's been one of those kinds of mornings. Um, but that leads to one of the things I just wanted to kind of highlight is the reason we go through that, the reason we press through any of those things, the reason you have had your own Murphy's Law things going on this morning, where to get to church, to get kids ready, to, uh, you know, try to come in as if you didn't just have an argument in the car, uh, whatever it is that you had to do to uh, get here, one of the reasons we do that is because we uh, exalt and honor and believe that what God has given us in his word is worthy of pressing through and considering and gathering with God's people and coming together. And, and when we come together uh, on Sunday morning, we, we come here to stand under his word, that, that we don't come to stand over it and to uh, tell God's word what it says. But we come to uh, with each other, with the Holy Spirit's help and, and prayer and desire to God, what do you have to say to us? Uh, what what is uh, what what does your word say? What you, like it is it is a really big deal that God has given us uh, His word. Um, it, it's it, the the Bible is not God, but we would not know God if we did not have it. This is how God has chosen to reveal Himself, uh, and, and I highlight that uh, because I just as a church. We need to constantly reorient our, our minds around all kinds of things because we're distracted and tempted in all kinds of different ways. And one of those ways is to take God's word flippantly. Uh, John Newton, again, one of my favorite pastors, he, he said uh, this. He says, it is a painful, it is a painful um, to, I'm sorry. Yep. Okay. It is painful to a serious mind to observe how much the Bible is neglected. I've known some great houses in which this book could not be found. In others, if it has a place in the library, it is seldom removed from the shelf. And so even as we come here together and gather to hear from God's word, to consider what his word has for us, um, even as we gather throughout the week or in our own homes, we should exalt the scriptures. And one of the other ways we do that as a church is through coming together throughout the week to study God's word. Uh, so that's why we offer two different Bible studies uh, every uh, every year. So in the fall and in the spring and coming up, we're offering another Bible study in which we've tried to make it even more convenient uh, for us to gather and study God's word. It's going to be uh, on Tuesday nights coming up in January. Um, and we're going to gather uh, men and women on the same night uh, at Grace Community Presbyterian Church. Um, there's going to be child care. Um, and we're going to study the books of Esther and Ruth. Um, actually, as I think about one of the things we'll get in today, and just in regards to we're going to kind of get the tip of the iceberg in regards to suffering and what that looks like on occasion. Esther and Ruth are great examples of how the scriptures talk about suffering. Um, and so I would just encourage you to, if you can, as you're able to make it, uh, come and be a part of uh, exalting God's word and trying to understand it, trying to get to know it, and trying to consider all that he would have for us. Uh, one of the things about this Bible study is, again, we're offering child care, uh, which is actually 
fairly expensive to provide. So if you can, we're asking you to pay for childcare. But if there's any hesitation to come because you can't, you need childcare, but you can't afford to pay for it, then please just go ahead and register and we'll figure it out. It'll be completely fine. Uh, but it'll be a great time of coming together as God's people to study God's word and to continue to exalt his word uh, in our life. Um, okay, second thing, I don't know if you noticed, but I've got a new pullover. Um, this thing right here, it's got the Northbrook Church on it uh, right there. Um, and uh, if you have any desire, uh, this is the first time I've ever modeled anything. That's not true. You made me model, my mom made me model clothes when I was like in third grade, took me to a mall. It was a horrible experience. Uh, but anyways, you can talk to her about it afterward if you want. Um, and uh, if you have any interest in one of these, uh, we, uh, we have a handful available. They, it costs like 45 bucks. And so we're just going to ask you to pay that if you want one of these. Um, I'm actually probably going to sweat a little bit just so I could show you what it looked like uh, this morning because it, it is uh, a bit warm. So there's that. Has uh, anyone watched like a full season of Undercover Boss, like from beginning to end? A full season, like from beginning to end. Anybody? You're literally the only person. Um, and then uh, I have, I've not seen any. They lay it on a little too thick for me, but I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, obviously even in the title, you get the idea. Uh, uh, you, typically a rich, well-off CEO comes and works with like the lower level, the lowest level people uh, in the company to see what's going on and either uh, discover really encouraging good things are going on or just discover some middle level managers kind of on a power trip and uh, doing something. And, uh, you know, and it's like a, dra- a reality TV drama. I'm sure it's reality as reality TV gets at least. Um, and then, uh, but, th- but that idea has been repeated in, I mean, that's that reality TV show and movie after movie after movie where like a uh, rich, a king uh, disguises himself and goes to dwell amongst and uh, explore and see the life of the common folk. Um, and, and there's something that's just naturally endearing about that towards us. There's something that seems like, oh man, that's so, that's so kind, that's so cool. And, and really one of the things we're going to see here in First Peter is like the the extreme of that. I mean, it's one of the things we're celebrating during Advent is, is the, the extreme reality of that. And not in some, again, you know, maybe cheesy reality TV kind of way, but in, in whatever part of us like that, that endears, like in the most substantive way, in the most real way, in the most genuine way with the biggest gap that is eternal, that could ever be imagined. It's not like Elon Musk and the poorest person in the world, it's even uh, eternally more than that. It's so much more in that, and that that is what we see happening in in who Jesus is and what he's done done and how he's come uh, to redeem the world. And we're going to get a bit of a glimpse of that in uh, today's text. The idea of, again, someone with significant status dignifying those uh, with lower status. Status. Peter is turning our attention to the lowest class of people in the Roman Empire. Uh, you see verse 18, it starts with this word, servant. Um, and so Peter uses a specific Greek word, oikita, which means simply household slave. Instead of what, when you see this word is throughout the New Testament, usually it's uh, when you see servant or slave or it's doulos, it's kind of the more general Greek term, but he, he's uh, drawing our attention specifically to uh, these household slaves uh, in the Roman Empire. Um, 
And the ESV translate this word servant in our text to acknowledge, one, uh, the difference between the system of slavery, what it was like in first century Roman Empire versus, as we know, what American slavery, what, when we see the word uh, slave, what we would think. And so that's why it translates it servant, because there is a bit of a difference. Just listen to the ESV study Bible and, and their explanation here. Because we got to. Oh, is that me? That's my fault. See, I told you, just things, you know, going wrong. Um, I don't know. One, two, buckle my shoe. Um, no idea. I'll use a, uh, what? Oh, no, I didn't switch the battery. Um, so. Yeah. So I'll wait on the battery. Uh, hopefully that is it. Check one, two. Seems like that was it. So, yeah. So this is what the ESV Bible study says about uh, the difference. The Roman institution of being a bondservant or slave was different from the institution of slavery in North America during the 17th through the 19th centuries. Slaves, bondservants, servants generally were permitted to work for pay and to save enough to buy their freedom. The New Testament assumes that trafficking in human beings is a sin. And I'm going to read this verse. But one of, that's one of the, I think one of the myths that people say about the scriptures is that the scriptures don't condemn uh, slavery, or at least slavery as we would think about it. Uh, but listen to 1 Timothy 1, uh, 8 through 11. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinner, for the unholy and profane. And this a long list of bad things for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so that word, obviously there's lots of things in that list there, but enslavers is simply uh, a word that means to take someone with the intention of selling them into slavery. And so the, the Bible study goes on to the comment goes on and says, and Paul urges Christian bond servants who can to gain freedom, uh, who can gain freedom to do so. The released bond servant was officially designated a freed man and frequently continued to work for his former master. Many extant inscriptions from freedmen indicate that the tendency to adopt the family name for the former master, now their patron, and to continue honoring them. And so uh, just the, again, just the idea, just kind of, we have to do some work with that word. Now, when we read servant, it, it doesn't maybe do that, but a lot of times, a lot of Bible translations will translate that, and it's not wrong to translate it slave. And so we have to do some kind of work to make sure we're understanding it in the first century context and not our uh, American, you know, as we think about uh, the slavery that is most recent uh, to us. Um, and so it is a bit different. And we'll talk about some more of those differences uh, here in a minute. Uh, but one of the things that Paul is, uh, man, Peter, not Paul. Uh, one of the things that Peter is uh, correcting here is the, the, re- the Greeks and the Romans had what called these household col- uh, codes. Even our, our kids are learning some of those through uh, old Greek writer Plutarch. And uh, they, a lot of Greek writers talk about these uh, household codes. Um, and, but here's the thing that the, the Greeks and the Romans would, would do is they would talk about slaves and they would talk about women, but they would never talk to slaves. 
but they were never taught to women. So even in what the New Testament is doing here, even in what God is doing through Peter, is exalting the lowest levels of society. Uh, he, he is addressing them. He is talking to them as equals. He's saying, this is how I would encourage you to act. He's not just telling people how to treat them. He's saying, here, here is how you should respond and navigate the relationships that uh, you have in your life. And so we see constantly that the Bible dignifying those that culture uh, continues to not dignify. And this is Peter is writing to correct uh, some of how those household codes are uh, operating. And the other thing I think that's important for us to, to realize as we think about uh, this text is, is that this is uh, a paradigm for Christians. Uh, that, that as we think about like there's like Peter is talking to real household slaves and, and telling them how to interact with people. Uh, but for all of us as Christians, there, there's a, a relationship that we like the slave is our brother. As, as the hymn says. And, and Jesus has made this so. I, I love what one commentator, Karen Job, she said this. She said, The Son of God has dignified even the lowliest in society by becoming like them in His incarnation. This, this is the kind of Savior we have. And so this is the kind of the paradigm that we think through uh, as Christians. Like none of us are household slaves. Uh, but but we, we can see through their lens because we have a Savior who has come uh, and relates to them. Um, and I, I think about even when uh, humanity, uh, I was reading just about some of this. I was uh, reading John Newton's account of the slave trade. He was a, uh, a slave trader for many years before he came to faith. Um, and I was reading his, you know, as an old man, kind of looking back and how... How, how slavery just brings out the worst in humanity. Like in the first century and 17th through 19th century, like slavery in, in its uh, reality brings about often the worst in humanity. But we have a God that looks on slavery and it brings out the best in him. Uh, it brings out the best in who he is uh, to come and redeem uh, those very slaves uh, that we are a part of. Uh, when Again, when God saw people enslaved, it brought out the best uh, in him. And so this is, uh, you know, specific words, but also kind of a paradigm that we need to think through as Christians. And he's going to address these household slaves in three ways. Peter gives us an exhortation. He gives us an explanation. Uh, and then he gives us an excavation. Not really. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool if I could have worked in excavation? No. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking what's another E word, but uh, exhortation, explanation, and then we'll end with an invitation uh, that uh, Peter gives us. Uh, look, at, look at verse 18. Again, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And so this is quite simply the exhortation, and it's straightforward and simple. Submit to your masters with respect, not just to the good ones, but also to the bad ones. Uh, slaves in the Roman Empire were about one-fourth of the population. Um, so there's a significant amount of people that Peter is uh, addressing here. Um, 
And this is another way in which Peter is encouraging Christian slaves in Asia Minor to respond to non-Christian masters. We talked about non-Christians in society. He's talking about non-Christian masters in here, the the bad ones. And then he's going to talk about non-Christian husbands even here in a second. So he's still helping the the Christian that is new to his faith figure out what it looks like to navigate his faith in the midst of uh, these relationships. And we obviously find ourselves in similar places when we're having to submit to bosses or authorities in our life. And we talked about that a bit uh, last week. But here's what Peter is saying. He's saying a lot of things, but one of the things that's clear, Peter is saying a sinful response is never justified. That, that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's happening to us, a sinful response is never justified. It may make sense. It may be logical. But it's never justified. And Peter's exalting our faithfulness to God above everything else. And we talked about that a bit last week. So I'll move on to the explanation in verses 19 through 20. Why? Why is he doing this? Why is Peter exhorting us in this way? For this, when you're doing this thing, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is, is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So again, a, a couple things. Uh, one, we realize that slavery in that day wasn't exactly like, you know, 17th to 19th century slavery. Uh, but it also was not like, I, I've heard some people compare this to jobs nowadays. And there's some correlations uh, I think maybe a better correlation is like the military. When you sign up for the military, and you, can't, you know you have to do what the military says for uh, a certain amount of time. And you're going to have good commanders and bad commanders and you have to respond. Uh, but also it was even worse than that because when you were even a household slave or a servant or whatnot, they did have authority over you and bad ones could do horrifically bad things. Um, and so I don't want to make this look like something it's not either. It's not like just uh, working at Starbucks and having a bad boss. It is a, it's a different kind uh, of situation that, that uh, Peter is addressing and, and different situations that Peter uh, are in. And, and I want to, it's, it's obvious uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, there, I just want to say it clearly as someone beside, this is not an encouragement to stay in any kind of abusive relationship or abusive situation. You should leave and you should flee those kinds uh, of situations. But what Peter is saying, he's saying this is a gracious thing. That phrase, he uses it twice, one in verse 19 and the end uh, of verse 20. And what he's talking about is God sustaining grace as we respond faithfully, even uh, when others mistreat us. Again, it's straightforward. When we do wrong and are punished, that makes sense. But there is something about the Christian that stands out when we're wrongly accused, when we're slandered against or beaten, and we respond not through sinful retaliation, but with faithful endurance. That is what Peter is calling us to. Uh, and, and it really does kind of cut through what we're so prone to be consumed with. Um, we're prone to be consumed with kind of the surface level things, even if you think of like the high level, like, like just everyone liking us or getting the desires of our heart. Like as people, those things in and of themselves aren't bad, but we get consumed with them when, to be honest with you, most of the suffering that we experience in our life has to do with those things not happening. Someone not liking us or us not getting what we want. 
And, and that's a big part of how we talk about suffering. Uh, Peter's talking about a whole different kind of suffering. And, and those things don't happen, and we start to question God. And again, Peter's talking on another level of suffering, a level in which we should still not question to God, but cling to faithfulness to him. And I'm not, not saying we shouldn't lament or say hard things or be honest, but I'm just talking about, man, there's a difference between a lot of the suffering we talk about and the suffering that the New Testament puts before us. Um, and so even though there may be some correlations, we should probably be shocked a bit. We should probably be shocked about the amount of things we complain about and, and what the scriptures call us to endure in the, in the big gap there. Uh, that, that should expose uh, our lives. Uh, Peter has a different view uh, of suffering. One, one commentator pointed out how ironic it is uh, that central to Peter's view of Christ is suffering. The very one who, when Jesus told him he was going to die on the cross, was like, no, you're not. The very one, when someone tried to come get Jesus, uh, Peter responded and retaliated. And Jesus was like, no, but now we've seen growth in Peter's understanding of suffering. He's like, no, this, this is actually what it's about. This is what's central to our faith. As we think about Peter's growth, it's just a good question to consider. Has your view of suffering grown? Have you had a view of suffering that was one way, but God has shaped and sanctified and molded, and you've seen the centrality of Christ's suffering in your life um, and what it means for the suffering that you experience? Um, and, and we know Peter's life. He'll need every bit of that maturity as he'll eventually give uh, his life for the sake of Christ. And so obviously no one should suffer needlessly. Uh, but when this is our life verse, we, we don't shy away from suffering, but we even willingly embrace it for the sake of Christ. This is a Christian view of suffering. Even if you just look at that uh, one line, you could describe a Christian view of suffering in this way. This is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Uh, as, even as we think about all the different aspects of how the Bible talks about suffering, one, uh, here, here's, here's four ways that we can kind of understand suffering in the scriptures. We do see that suffering is temporary. It's a light and momentary compared to the future that awaits God's people, as 2 Corinthians 4 says. Uh, later in 1 Peter, Peter will say, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So suffering in this life is temporary. And then another reality of suffering is suffering, as it did with Peter, it grows us in many ways. I was listening to a podcast with Andrew Peterson. He's a songwriter, author, uh, and he wrote one of our, as a family, one of our favorite uh, fiction series, The Wing Feather Saga. And he was talking about being an author, and they were talking about suffering. And he was like, I never lost my affection in one bit for the main character. And I loved him uh, from the beginning to the end as I put him through suffering because I needed him to become the hero that uh, he needed to be. And, and just that kind of picture of an author uh, molding and shaping, uh, this is one of the things that suffering does in our lives. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
So through suffering, uh, there's this growth and there's this uh, enlargening of our hearts to experience and receive God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we know that suffering draws us closer into fellowship with Jesus. Many of you would probably say you would never choose the suffering that you've experienced in, in this life. But some of those moments have, went, have been when you have felt uh, closest to Jesus. And that's what uh, we see in Isaiah 53, that Jesus is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. What Peter is going to do here in a minute with the uh, uh, verses 22 through 25, he's, a, he's actually going to take Isaiah 53 and, and apply it to who Jesus is and what he has done. That's mostly what he's quoting. And we know that those times of suffering uh, draws closer into fellowship with Jesus. But also one thing that's clear about suffering is that there, it is mysterious. There's much that can be known about suffering, but when we experience a particular suffering in our life, we most often do not get the why of that suffering. We search for it and we cling to it and we want that why, but we often just don't get it. And we often kind of run after it because we aren't really happy with what the, how the Bible talks about suffering. We want to make more sense out of it than the Bible does. But one of the things we have to realize about the suffering that we experience in life is there is a mystery to it. There's a mystery that we don't get to understand on this side uh, of heaven. Uh, but we do get uh, fellowship with the one who came to suffer, that we could be free from suffering eventually. Um, and there's all kinds of, that's, that's the Christian view of suffering. I was thinking about this week and just the, the different ways other religions view suffering. The Buddhist says ex- existence is suffering. That's like one of their uh, founding pillars of uh, their faith. So to, to not suffer, to, to escape suffering is to escape existing. That's what nirvana is. That's the, the seeking of nirvana in Buddhism is to suffering, existence is suffering. So I'm just going to try not to exist and reach uh, nirvana. Or the Hindu and the Hindu and the Buddhist share this, the idea of karma. Suffering is because either in this life or some past life that I don't even know about, I've done something bad, and so I'm experiencing this suffering right now. So I've got to try to do better. I've got to try to do good. And hopefully, eventually, that'll kind of balance the skills, and I'll experience less suffering. The reality is sometimes we more you know, live out those non-Christian views of suffering. Are you living out the Christian view of suffering? Uh, I was up late the other night and I was listening to an interview with a historian, Tom Holland, because that's how I like to party. Um, and uh, he, uh, he was talking, he's a, he's a non-Christian historian. He's written a lot of uh, uh, history. And uh, he uh, was talking about how during the pandemic, he was like, one of the things is uh, a Christian was interviewing him. One of the, he was like, one of the things I've missed from the church is the, the wealth of resources it has for suffering and how much it's relied on just parroting health announcements, which are fine. But why has the church not relied on the book of Job? Why has the, the church not relied on the Psalms? Why do I not hear the message that the church has to people in the face of suffering more prevalent during this? And he's in the UK. And so it's, you know, much different than we experienced here in Texas. But, but the, he's like, there's this message. He's a, he's a non-Christian desiring the Christian view of suffering uh, for the people. Um, and so it, it just even culturally, are we, are we offering what the Bible says about suffering? Um, as, as a comfort for obviously us as God's people, but even as an invitation uh, for those that don't believe it. Northbrook, may that not be us. Would God help us uh, believe and live out uh, what, what Peter is calling uh, the servants to here? 
reality is, again, we have a Savior that submitted to unjust suffering in order to fulfill God's plan of redemption. We, we, that's, that's, the, that's what we think about when we think about our salvation. As someone who submitted to unjust suffering as a part of God's plan for redemption. Uh, and this is the invitation we have in these next verses. It's really the heart of 1 Peter that we're getting into here in this passage. Um, he, he's talking about the real world relationships that we find ourselves in. Uh, slave and master, husband and wife. Uh, but the heartbeat of the Christian motivation in these different situations is verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And this is where uh, we see the invitation. That, that word uh, called in, in verse 21 is actually ekletheti in the Greek, which can be translated call or invite or invitation. And it's really both are fine. It's the, the same idea. But as Westerners, how we like to think about calling is it's something that we find great fulfillment in. It's something that brings out our utmost potential to its fullest realization. Uh, we talk about our callings in non-negotiable ways. Me and Jason or Henriks are going through a book where we've talked through some of this. Hey, this is my calling. How could you disagree with my decision to pursue fill in the blank? As Western people, that's how we talk about calling as it's a self-fulfilling thing that is uh, really objectively universal that because I feel called in this way, there should be no one that would disagree with the way I feel called. But here we have in verse 21 for the Christian, what is the most important invitation? The most important calling. More important than me being a pastor. More important than you pursuing your dream. Is what you're going to do with this invitation from Jesus. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And what you can see is absent here is we get no promise of riches. Don't get a promise that hopes and dreams we have will come true. We get zero materialistic promise. Throughout the scriptures, the promise we continually get is him, is Jesus, is that he will be with us and we will be with him. But is that enough? I want us to have a chance to kind of take in the significance of this invitation from Jesus. So uh, what I'm going to do with verses 22 through 25 is, is really untypical, uh, especially untypical for like a Sunday morning. Uh, but for just as we kind of the end of our time, I'm just going to read this passage three times over us. Uh, I'm going to read it over us slowly. I want us to have a moment to consider. I want us to have a moment to meditate and receive Jesus. And I'm going to guide us through it. But we'll look at Jesus in, in three ways here, and I'll say them as we go along. But first, as I read it, I want you to consider Jesus as your Savior. As we see in verse 21, it says, Christ suffered for you. He, he came to save you. Do you believe that? If you do, man, we get to receive this truth again. Maybe you haven't believed that. But in this moment, you're going to hear God's word and it'll go from an idea to something that you realize to be true. Something that you barely understand to the most important thing about you. And friend, I would invite you to receive Jesus in this moment. And so I want to invite you to meditate on these words. Um, and I think even as you think about meditating on the scriptures, uh, just 
think about it in a helpful way. Maybe in this moment, it's going to be helpful for you to have your Bible open and look at these words as I read them. Uh, For some of you, it might be uh, good to posture yourself in a a way of receiving. Uh, You can uh, put your hands out and your palms up and you can close your eyes and meditate on this truth and hear Jesus' words for you. Whatever it looks like, just kind of posture posture yourself to, to receive Jesus as your Savior. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is our Savior. I pray that we would receive him as that. Jesus is also our example. Verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. If he is our savior, there should be no one else that you want to follow more. No one else that you would want to emulate and live more like uh, than Jesus. So now as you hear these words about Jesus, hear them as an invitation to follow his example. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is our Savior. He is our example. And as we are on this journey, we we need a guide. We need to follow Him. We need wisdom. We need grace in our failings. We need hope and encouragement. Simply, we need a shepherd. And by God's abundant grace, this is where we find Jesus yet again. In chapter 5, Peter calls Him the chief Shepherd, And here in our verse, we see that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. If every earthly pastor were to fail each of us, he never will. And so for the last time, let's hear and receive Jesus as your shepherd. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's our Savior, he's our example, he's our shepherd. And this invitation goes out to all. There's only someone that sees Jesus as sufficient and as beautiful that could submit to unjust suffering and remain faithful. So we get to not just endure suffering, but we get the joy of knowing this Savior. Let me pray for us in that way. Jesus, you are the shepherd and overseer of our soul. And so even as we consider the the heavy topic of suffering that you don't shy away from or minimize in your scriptures, even as we consider that, we can find great joy that we get you. That you never sinned, that you might forgive our sin, that you didn't revile, that you didn't threaten So that we could be free to do the same, trusting you and trusting our souls to the one who judges justly. You don't overlook injustice. You actually care the most about it. Lord Jesus, you cared so much about it that you gave up your life. To to heal and redeem those that put their faith in you. That we can be forgiven from the Uh, gross amount of injustice in all of our lives and to uh, eventually punish the wicked and the unjust that don't repent, that don't come to you, that don't see you as Savior and example and shepherd. God, you deal with justice and we can trust you with it. And so, Spirit, would you just help us? Would you help us see Jesus as Peter puts him before us here? We, we struggle and we see uh, dimly. And so, Spirit, by your kindness and your grace, would you just help us in the relationships in our life and the areas where we're struggling to submit to authority and our relationship as husband and wives, as adults and kids? Um, Spirit, would you, would you help us to see Jesus? If there's quick fixes and and helps would we use them wisely but we would never miss an opportunity to cling to you Jesus to consider you uh, to see that you're the most important thing that we need to know in any relationship and in any situation again Jesus we just thank you for being who you are that you did this for our sake that you suffered for us that we could be free We love you, we praise you, we thank you, and we long for you to come and um, that we could be with you for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.